In my schedule for the uh, for this sermon series in the book of First John, we are supposed to be starting um, the book of First John, chapter two, verse twenty-eight, and following. Uh, but as I got to this passage from twenty-eight all the way down to chapter three, verse ten, this is too rich to just do a cursory look at for just one sermon. And so I really have felt led that we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Maybe maybe a couple of weeks, maybe three or four weeks, I don't know, but we'll see. But this is just, as I was reading through this, there's just too much here to just gloss over it. But the one thing that kept popping up as I was reading it, as I was reflecting, as I was thinking, was um, this... This one verse just kept coming back to me over and over again. So it's chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 1. Now I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And I'm going to ask you guys, if you, if you have your Bibles, open them up to this. Because I want to ask a couple questions about your translations. So 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love... The Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, as I said, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, What other translations do we have in the room? NIV? I'm sorry? King James? New American Standard. Okay. New American Standard, what does yours say? See how great a love the Father has set upon us that we should be called children of God. Okay, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. King James? Okay. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And then NIV? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children, children of God. Okay. So, the NIV is the one that uses the word lavish. Now, Lavish is not a word that is part of my regular vernacular. It's not something I use on a regular basis. But any time I have read that verse, and I I used the NIV for probably 20, 25 years exclusively. That was the one that I read every time I had devotions. So I became very familiar with the New International Version, the NIV. And, excuse me, and whenever I would read this verse, see, and see how great the love, see how, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And I just, that, that word lavished has always stuck out for me whenever I have read that. And so, first of all, I, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I trust other people. And so I look in other sources to see what these words are. And the word that's translated bestowed or given um, or lavished 
If you read through all of the, the Strong's concordances and the, and the dictionaries, it doesn't say the word lavished in the list of synonyms. And I'm like, why would they use that word? And honestly, I tried to go to NIV commentators and everything, and I can't get the answer to that question to satisfy me, quite honestly. I, I, to know why did the people who translated the NIV, why did they choose that word? So I don't have anything to point to to say this is why they chose that word. But what I do want to do is I want to think about what that word means to us. And then look at how it is part of this verse. The understanding that I have for the word lavish it is to give away or pour out extravagantly. Can you imagine, for example, back in 1950, whatever it was, back when Mary was two years old, her grandmother had a bottle of perfume sitting on her nightstand or on her dresser that had been imported from France at great cost. Or maybe um, her grandfather had served in the war and brought it back with him. But anyway, this was a cherished perfume. And Grandma only wore it on special occasions. And Grandma would take the perfume bottle, which had a little glass stopper, and she would pull out the stopper. She would first turn the bottle over gently. She'd pull the stopper out. And the little edge of the stopper, she would just gently rub right behind her ears and maybe right at the base of her throat. Then she'd put it back and it would be set. So now the aroma of this expensive perfume would be wafting from grandma because grandma had very, very gingerly put a tiny little bit and it was just enough so that there was a scent as she walked through the room. Have you ever been around an older person who wears really nice, nice perfume or cologne and they walk by and then there's just this beautiful smell afterwards? That's what I'm talking about with grandma back in the 1950s applying this very costly, precious perfume that her husband had gotten for her during the war and brought it back and she kept it on her dresser. Now, Mary goes to visit Grandma. And she goes into Grandma's room. And she wants to be like Grandma. So she grabs Grandma's brush and she's brushing her hair like Grandma. And she gets Grandma's lipstick and she puts it on like Grandma does. And then she gets Grandma's perfume bottle and she pulls out the stopper and she just pours it all over herself. And she puts it back. And her grandmother comes in and goes, Ah! What have you done? I'd be like, you grandma. But what Mary did was she extravagantly, wastefully poured out that costly perfume all over herself. And she smells wonderful. And grandma's about to die. <laughs> because she can't believe she wasted that. That's what this word lavish means. 
God took something that was costly and precious and amazing and just dumped it all over us. So that this aroma, overpowering, glorious aroma of Christ floods every space that we walk through. He could have just taken the little dauber and just put a little bit on it and it would have had a good effect. But God chose to lavish this on us. Now, let's look to see what is he lavishing on us. In my translation, again, English Standard Version, it says the love of the Father. What does yours say? Anybody? Love bestowed by the Father. Okay. Anybody else have it handy? Okay. So most of them are just talking about love. It's the amplified says incredible quality of love. Incredible quality of love. So it's talking about love, love, love. Well. Some of us are well-versed in, in this terminology that we're going to talk about in just a second. But there are many people today, in today's culture, who don't have a biblical background, who don't have a Christian background, who have no idea what we're, what we're about to talk about. But remember I said this was written... I mean, I'm not a Greek scholar. I am not a Hebrew scholar. Why is that important? Well, because in the original text, this New Testament letter that John wrote was written in the language of Greek. And so this word love in the English language was not actually the word love. It was the word agape. Okay? There are different words that we translate love. There is philea, there is eros, there is agape, and there's one other that I can never remember. And they all have distinct nuances or differences in their definitions. And this is the word agape. Now, I was going to give you a long definition of it, but I found this really, really cool video that I wanted to share with you about what this word love is. So watch the video and then we'll come back. It's only a little over four minutes long. So just watch it and we'll be right back. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your moms can feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rahman. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them to Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. 
Rather, they look to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So, one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from an ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So, love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important. To love your neighbor as yourself. So, which is the most important? Loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, there are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people, and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them expecting nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only Son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world. Which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Hey, thanks for watching this word study video by the Bible Project. We make lots of other videos, and they're all about showing how the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. You can go to our website, thebibleproject.com, see what we're working on, and even jump in and pitch in a few bucks to the next one. Thanks for being a part of this with us. Thanks, guys. As I was trying to come up with a good definition for agape, I literally had typed in, define agape, and this video came up, and I was like, yeah, I love it! 
So that's the reason you guys got to see it. Um, I encourage you to go out onto the internet if you have access to the internet. There's lots of incredible resources. Some you have to be careful of their theology, but these people, the Bible Project, I trust. I've, I've seen a lot of their stuff, and I really do enjoy it. That's the reason I left their little commercial at the end, because it's important that you know where it came from. Um, but what, what this verse is saying to us, what John said to the people that he wrote uh, when he wrote this letter, see the kind of agape that the Father has bestowed or lavished upon us. That we should be called the children of God. The Bible tells us God is love. What you just saw in this video is that the love of God, the love of the Father, is a selfless, not self-seeking love, but a love that reaches out and does for the other whether the other deserves it or not. Whether the other can repay you or not. I'm going to say this, this is an image that, that just, I'm sorry to do it, but it is what has been on my heart. We, my wife and I had been gone most of the day yesterday. And when we came home late yesterday, my wife went downstairs into the guest room to go into the storage room where we have our refrigerator, our spare refrigerator and our freezer and some other storage stuff. And when she went in there, one of our cats came running out of this room. She had been apparently trapped in that room since the night before because nobody had been in there since the night before. And our cat, thank God, is fastidious about her bathroom. And so she only goes on concrete or tile or linoleum. She doesn't go on carpet. Thank you. But she went to the bathroom in the laundry room on the toilet, on the, on the tile. And my wife asked me, she said, I'm busy with blah, 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 such and such, da, da, da. Could you take care of this for me? Sure. Bob has been an EMT. Okay, I was a nationally registered EMT. I was a state registered EMT. I have served as an EMT for years and years and years. I've been around the medical field for years and years and years. There's not a whole lot of stuff that grosses me out or gags me. But the smell of dog poop or cat poop gags me. And on top of this, I told my wife when I got upstairs, it was still warm. <laughs> she had just gone just moments before we got home. And that was even worse. There was, in my mind, not that there was, but in my mind there was steam. And when I picked up the pieces, there was liquid underneath. And I was just like, <laughs> Now, then I went to reflect on my sermon. And God said, kind of like how it was with me and you. I saw you as a piece of warm, wet poop. But I was willing to pick you up and take you to my heart anyway. Because I love you. That's kind of how it was, Bob. Because really, and you don't need to know the details, I was a piece of warm, wet poop that steamed. Before I came to Christ. I really was. And to know. That he didn't even grab a tissue to pick me up. But he took me into his bare hand. And he held me and he said. You have great value to me. Because of the love. 
that the Father has lavished on me. I can be called a child of God. And the thing that's so cool, and this was something that I read in one of the commentators, it's not just a name that I was called a child of God. It is that I have been called to the vocation of being a member of the Holy One's family, the Eternal One's very intimate circle. This warm, wet, steaming piece of feces has been transformed by God's love and God's decision and God's word has been transformed into something of great value. How do I know I am of great value? Because of the cross of Christ. For God so loved the world, insert your own name, that God gave God's one and only Son, the begotten one, so that you might have life, so that you could be a member of the household of God. And it was all done before the transformation took place. It was done before you had any worth or value. It is an amazing, amazing story. There's one more thing about this verse. Yes, the agape of God has been lavished on us and has transformed us from valueless, worthless, stinky people to being children of God. But John said one other word at the beginning of this verse. Behold. Some translations say see. But it is a command. It's not a throwaway. Behold the love that the Father has lavished on us. That we are called the children of God. What does it mean to behold that love? Well, let's look quickly before we close at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. In writing his letter to the book to the church of the people of Ephesus, Paul wrote, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
And now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When you behold the agape of God, first of all, it is not you who can behold it. Normal, everyday human beings have not the ability to behold the love of God. They can see evidence of God's love. But to sit in the presence of God and just in awe look at God and the love of God. It says, May He grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith, and so that being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend. See, it is a transaction that happens when God comes into your life. When God comes in, the Holy Spirit of God comes in at the time that we are brought into right relationship with God through the blood of Christ. We are then empowered. We are given the ability to behold God. We're told, John, later on in the letter that we've been studying, says God is love. We're told here in Ephesians that with the presence of the Spirit and the presence of Christ in you, you have the strength because of God's presence to be able to look at what is the length and depth and breadth and height of the love of God, which transcends all understanding. But God is able to do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, in this week of devotion that's coming up, I would encourage you to just spend time with John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold. Observe. Meditate on. Chew on. Be fascinated by. Sit in awe of. The great love of the Father, which has been lavished on you. So much so that you have been called and transformed from what you were into a member of God's household. One that he draws to his own breast and says, you are mine and I find great value in you. Spend time beholding that this week and see what God does in your own spirit. Amen. Let's pray.